All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power. And as always, I'm your host, Bailey Eigbrett, and joined with me is not the captain this week. Captain's taking a week off. It's his anniversary week. And so we are stuck with this guy, Mr. Drew Gregory, who I thought I got away from last week, but here we are. Once again, joined by the man. What's up, Drew? Oh, not too much, man. Definitely a shout out to the captain, though. That guy's been holding it down, and he deserves a break. He does a great job. So happy to fill in for you, and hopefully I can just, you know, I got big shoes to fill. So let's see if we can make it happen. We got a lot of stories. We're going to have a lot of fun. So let's, uh, we got, uh, we got the recent Hobie BOS champ on here who, uh, one, honestly, these off the wall stuff like make me like nerd out. So I'm pretty excited to talk to Nolan, uh, who won the recent Hobie BOS at the Susky, which was my first time ever being there. And that place was wicked cool. And I mentioned it on social media in a brief post, but like, dude, I was there for one day of practice. I mean, I guess like, I practiced for two hours. Zach and I did like a small float on Friday, but between Thursday practice and then two days of competition. I was more whooped than I am like fishing for like a week and a half just for the the way you have to fish that thing. And for somebody like yourself or like Nolan and his brother that grew up fishing that way, I give you guys mad props because I'm still toast right now. Like my body still, still hurts. (laughs) So uh, I'm excited to learn how Nolan broke down that river. And also he's got some freaking juice that he's going to lay on us here, which y'all are going to be able to see in a YouTube video on his channel, which will be posted in here momentarily. He's going to give us a thumbs up. But uh, Drew, real fast, kind of give us uh, a – before we bring Nolan on here, you mm-hmm. got him in the queue, patiently waiting. Tell us uh, how your tournament went. Yeah, man. You know, I'll, I'll keep this brief because this is all about Nolan and, and you know, his big win. So, um, But believe me, I know you and I could do a podcast alone without, without Nolan talking about everything that happened. We stayed in the same Airbnb. We had a blast. Um, so, you know – last two years I fished the Hobie BOS and the Susquehanna. Um, I ended up third and fourth the last two years. So I've got some good history here. Always done well in the Susquehanna. And um, it kicked off my AOI run back in uh, 2020. You know, I went here and then just kind of went on a tear to, to uh, you know, go after the AOI, which I think Nolan and, and Ewing are both going to be in prime position for that this year. But I was excited about the tournament because of the history I've had there. And I, you know, kind of knew what the fish typically do in a low water situation like this. And I know what they do in a little higher water situation like we had last year. So this was back to the low water and my practice went great. I was catching 17, 18, 19 inch fish. And all I did during practice was fish totally new water. And here's why last couple of years, we've had about 115, 112 anglers in the tournament. This year we capped out at 200. I think the final number ended up at like 192 because a few people dropped out. So my game plan was simply to find new fish and new water because I knew I would start at my history and I didn't want to kind of beat those fish up. So I, uh, basically that's what I did. I wanted to find new fish and I show up to my uh, history spot and there was only one other guy there, which is really cool. And he said, he was kind of, he said, Hey, do you want a coin flip for this really good hole? That's right at the, the put in. And I just said, Hey, you go ahead and take it, man. It's it's go ahead. No big deal. You just fish it and I'll fish up there and I'll hit some other of the prime stuff up ahead of you. Cause you'll be fishing that. I'm not going to mention his name and who he is. And he didn't do anything wrong per se, but man, it was kind of a little, little frustrating because he fished that hole, caught two 18s and then proceeded to fly up the river 
I mean, fly to every juice spot in that area that he's fished before and kind of knows it too. And he had 90 and a quarter inches and I'm just like, can't even get up to, he's just going so fast. It's just that stuff. So he kind of raced me up there again, you know, that's totally his, uh, his prerogative. And he, he did it, you know, and he, and he just missed all the marginal stuff and went straight to the juice. So then I just paddled way ahead of him and I tried to get to all of the good stuff that I had history wise up further up river. And when I did that, there was people coming from other launches that were already there. There were six kayak anglers. There was three boats floating down fishing for smallmouth. And so long story short, I literally paddled upstream two miles, Bailey, just to go turn around and go back downstream because I couldn't get on anything. So I wasted half my day one. But here's the cool thing, man. I took it as a positive. I said, you know what? This is why I pre-fished new water. This is exact reason why in case, you know, stuff hit the fan on day one, I've got a backup plan. It was very hard to do going up two miles and back, but I did that. I went to a, a secondary spot, got there about 1030, paddled down river and uh, ended up finding a school of, it's kind of a, a float I'd done before, but not actually in pre-fishing really. And I found a school of a hundred bass, man, a hundred smallies, you know, 75 to hundred, I would say that were suspended just under the surface in a very nondescript part of the middle of the river between the island, wasn't the, the whole width of the river. And it was glass calm, bluebird skies, every perfect scenario, super low water for them to sip on uh, insects and dragonflies. And every once in a while, you see one jump up two, three feet in the air and try to grab one. And I ended up, I didn't have any finesse stuff with me. I actually broke the only spinning rod I had during my transport, loading up from that first spot. So I had no finesse stuff, 30 pound braid. I was kind of doing my normal stuff, power fishing. And I still got those fish to bite, even with 30 pound braided line. Uh, with a Z-Man power finesse jig with the TRD crawls on the back, caught uh, you know several nice ones out of that school, and then moved downstream to the the spot that I really had, had good success in the past. Caught a couple more big ones, missed some big ones. Ended up with 91 inches. Never should have. I mean, in my mind, just crazy that I ended up with 91 after day one. Was sitting in fifth place. And to shorten the story up, on day two, I went to one of the other new spots I had pre-fished. Missed a few big fish early in the morning uh, on a whopper plopper, real real big ones. And caught one one good one and some other couple other fish. And I was throwing back 12 and 13s like like nothing, just throwing them back, not even measuring them. Even though I didn't have five, I didn't care. I caught 40 fish the day before. And I knew I was going back to my school of 100 fish. And, of course, I go back to that school. I, I do that second second half of the day. I did the float with the 100 bass. And there's a guy sitting on the school in a canoe. Again, nice guy. He looked like Carl from Carl's Bait and Tackle with the hat and sitting in the canoe. He let me fish it with them, but he was literally on top of them. They were scattered. He caught a bunch of them. They spooked, and uh, I could barely get five fish, and I thought I did not have five fish. If you guys watched the Instagram video I made, I said, man, I only ended up with four fish. I can't believe I was throwing back 12 and 13s. That's going to cost me a lot of AOI points and TOC potentially, and uh, with eight minutes to go, I was on the shuttle ride back with my a couple guys from our house, Dustin and, and Matt. And I just was like, man, let me look back to my photos to make sure I didn't take a picture of one of those fish. And I had taken a picture of a 14 and a quarter inch fish. And I didn't realize I didn't remember I'd done it. And so I'm frantically trying to figure out how to like, oh my gosh, which one did I, do I have in tourney X one, which one do I not? And I got it in just in time. So I ended up with five fish and 77 inches to go with 91 to end up in 21st place, just outside of the money by two spots. So lessons learned and, Sometimes, you know, both days I had people kind of all over the stuff I wanted to fish. And that's one of the questions which we can, I'm sure, bring Nolan in uh, unless you got to tell your stuff first. But that's one of the questions no. I want to ask Nolan about is he's fished in the opens 
and kayak fishing, it's so different because you'll paddle up two miles or, or to paddle downstream or wherever. You'll go a long way to get to some of your juice. And if somebody's there, man, does it change everything because you can't just crank up and go 70 and move somewhere else. So it's, uh, yeah, you know, just it, it didn't happen last year. And you, and I got all the fish happened this year and it, you know, it yeah. cost me, but, um, still a solid finish and a fun, fun trip on the Susquehanna. Yeah. Yeah. You can't argue that. And, no. uh, we're going to bring Nolan in here because I have PTSD of my weekend. So we'll hold off on, on talking about my tournament because this is the guy we want to talk to. Oh, Mr. Yeah. Nolan Miner, who, uh, there man of the weekend looking lavish, looking stylish. That's the, uh, I don't even know what we want to call that right now. I think we'll we'll let you describe what kind of fashion style you got going on with the hat. But yeah, uh, I felt like it has, was a good it, way has to... the phone stopped? You know, ringing yet? Uh, yeah, it's kind of starting to starting to calm down. Um, I like getting back to everybody, so I'm you know constantly like scrolling through trying to find every last message because I feel bad if I don't like say something back to somebody. Uh, but yeah, right. no, people have been super cool. Um, as far as saying congrats and you know it's kind of been cool to turn the heads of some guys that don't fish in kayaks and they're like dang 10 grand like it's yeah dude yeah for a 265 dollar entry fee that's the main thing too it's that percentage yeah. it's cool to see who's actually watching you know you, they yes. might you might see it in the public but people got their eyes on it especially on you dude like we had you on uh a while back before the season even started when we had our show I mean, good grief. It was um, totally my fault, but it was like a three-hour show. We were talking about the schedules for this year. And uh, it was cool because we got you on there because you were switching from the Opens to the Hobies, and you're going to take your stab at the kayak scene. And I'd say you're probably pretty happy that you, you've made that jump so far this year. Yeah, this wasn't a bad year to do it either. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. I think, I think the kayak scene <laughs> was the place to be. But, dude, really fast, I mean, we, we got you on. We talked a little bit about, like, your history in fishing and how you got your start. But uh, I think one thing that was really cool that stood out to me, and I, I was uh, – Drew and I stayed at the same house together over the weekend. I told him, I, thought, I was like, did you see all, all three minor boys were in the top 20 after day one? I thought that was something was super special for you guys. But um, yeah. I actually met your dad after day two, and he was talking about – I was like – and you ended up saying it in your award speech that that was his first ever, like, bass tournament like something he's ever been in on. I thought, like, dude, just a badass coming over here and trumping everybody. But, dude, talk about the history. Like, when, how did you guys all get into, like, the river fishing stuff? Is that something your dad got you guys into? Like, where did that all stem yeah, from? Yeah, so, like, the first bass fishing I ever did when I was little, like, really little, I want to say maybe five, six years old, we would go to the Upper James River uh, near Scottsville, Virginia. It's, like, right in the middle of the state. And, that is so similar to the Susquehanna, uh, maybe a little more depth, but like just wide, pretty shallow, rocky bottom. You can always see the bottom. That's the best way I try to mm -hmm. put it into perspective is like, you can always see the bottom. That really seems to be the best way to, you know, explain to people um, how the river is. But yeah. And so my dad and my uncle, that's what they would always do. They would take their canoes out on the James and catch a bunch of smallmouth. And so for him, that is a very familiar fishing style he's not much on fishing for the green ones like we do and there's there's a lot more variables with those guys there's a whole whole bunch of different stuff but a river smallmouth you know like if you know how to do it it's pretty straightforward so he wanted to go do that one because he enjoys doing that and, sounds like uh, my kind of guy right there man yeah <laughs> he's um, throw glide baits for uh for snakehead <laughs> yeah no he's, he's not really doing that we we haven't quite got him on a bait caster yet and i don't know that that's ever going to happen but 
spinning rods. He's I had to, you know, get him dialed in with throwing a, a chopper on a spinning rod, but it made it work. And he actually he kind of turned me on to it on the last day of practice. I was like, dang, like I need to. Yeah, because he's doing pretty good. Might hook into a big musky, musky on the James doing that, man. There's some big ones over there. I know that. There were a bunch of them where I was fishing uh, on the Susquehanna. Yep. I Anna, saw five yeah, the right. first day and four the second day. Yep, they're definitely in there. I didn't see a single one. I mean, not that I'm complaining. I don't. I respect a musky, but I don't want to see one to be honest. <laughs> I didn't this year, but but I've definitely seen them in the past in the section I fished. Great. All right, so y'all y'all want me to talk about this? This elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, spit it out for everybody. So, spit it out. All right. So my approach to this tournament was hoping that it was going to stay low water. Um, you know, keep an eye on the stream flow. And it looked like we weren't. It's such a big river that there was no way for it to. You know, we got to a certain point where it's like, even if we get rain, that river's staying low, which is what I wanted because. Yep. The fish are harder to catch when it's like that, which I think gives you a chance to set yourself apart. Because when the river's up and you can throw a jackhammer at the bank and they're going to be on a current seam, like a 20-inch fish is stupid when the water right. is high. You know, as long as the bait gets in front of him, he's going to get caught. And uh, I knew that that would not be the case this time around. And I called up my buddy who guides on the New River in Virginia, like maybe a month before the tournament. I was like, hey, man, I just want to pick your brain about what you do in the summer when the water gets low. Like what, you know what's the rundown? And he said, well, man, you know, obviously top water, right. That's no surprise to me. I've caught tons of smallmouth in the summer on top water when the water's low. Um, but he said, man, I don't know, maybe 80% of his fishing trips are spinning rod guys. And, you know, they'll catch 40, 50 in a day easy, but the biggest fish out of, I don't know, five trips. So, you know, maybe they'll get an 18, but then he said, I'll take a fly rod group for one day and they'll catch, 10 fish in the day and five of them were 18 to 20 plus inch fish. Uh, and they, you know, he was talking about how they eat bugs, uh, mm-hmm. they call them bug fish. So I was like, man, you know, I, and I know how to fly fish. So I was like, well, I'll just take a fly rod up there. And if I see that happening, I'll be able to, you know, use a fly rod, even though it's kind of a, you know, pain in the butt to do it. Um, I was like, I'll, I'll try it. Cause that'll be really outside the box. Well, then I got to looking online and I saw this little thing and I was like, man, that looks like something I could throw on a spinning rod and not have to have a fly rod in the boat and worry about peeling line off the reel when I see a fish that I want to throw yeah, to. Even better. So I ordered some, and my dad and I, the weekend before the tournament, we drove to a local river that has big smallmouth, and I took this thing to go experiment, and we found some fish in a pool that they were, you know, they were just there because there was no water anywhere else. And they were very skittish. And those are always hard fish to catch when you can see them and there's almost no current. If it's a big smallmouth, it's very hard to get that fish to bite. And I started throwing this bug at them and they were, you know, as long as they didn't see you, you throw that thing out in front of them, they just cruise right up to it. They nose up on it. You give it a little twitch. And I was yeah. catching 18, 19 plus inch smallmouth very easily. I was like, I was like, this is, you know, something that I need to, to take up there. This is so calculated, dude. I love this, Nolan. This is like so calculated. You're like doing it, testing it before the tournament, even like knowing you're going to find this. Because I've never done it, you know, so I was like, I need to try to get some experience doing it. And uh, then I looked at the map of the river and I looked for areas that were very slow and calm. Yep. Because most of the river, if you look at it, it's all riffles. I looked for areas that didn't have any of that because there's still going to be fish there, especially when the water's low. That's where they're going to retreat to. Um. And so my first day of practice, I was just going to go there and see what was there. And sun was out, saw a bunch of fish and it got to the point where once that sun got up and it was later in the day, those fish started kind of cruising around. That's, 
what they were, what my buddy refers to as bug fish. It's literally a mood. It's a mood that they enter later in the day when that sun gets out. They're literally cruising around trying to eat bugs that are on the surface and you'll see them. They'll be jet black. Usually a lot of times he's by himself. Sometimes it'll be a wolf pack and they'll just be cruising in very calm water. And you can throw a little wacky rig or a Ned rig at those fish and catch them. But there's a lot of times those fish, when it hits the water, they'll like spoof or they'll go look at it and they'll, they'll shy away from it because they, they're smart fish. They've been caught before. Um, but if you throw this thing at them, they just eat it. Like it's so cool. And what Bailey was talking about, how he was like nerding out on new techniques. Like that's why I can't keep this thing to myself because it's so freaking cool that like, it's something new that you haven't heard about. I mean, some guys know about it, but it's, you know, I always sit there and wonder like, oh, we know everything about bass. Like there's all these different baits. We have everything. What's going to, you know, and then all of a sudden some new bait, somebody starts doing something and it's really effective. And that feels like what this is. I'm not claiming to be the first to have done it, but it's not yeah. something that's widely known. Um, you can claim it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I want to make one and put my name on it, honestly. So if anybody is watching that wants to do that, uh, I'm, I'm working on some stuff, but we'll see what happens. Oh, okay. Here he is. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll show y'all. So it's made out of elastomer. Evergreen makes it. Um, it's called the gizmo. Uh, and he's got some little legs that move around a lot. There's a little weed guard on there. I don't think it actually does anything. I was cutting it off some of the time. The hook's pretty good, but it's uh, it's kind of light. It bends out, and I would like one that uh, right. have a stronger hook to it. And you could make one that could cast better than this, too. It does okay. I think it's their site says like 7 64ths of an ounce. So it's like if you tied seven trout magnets together and cast it, that's what it is. Um, it flies pretty good, though. It doesn't spin. But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was – thought it had a really solid hookup ratio and then ewing and i both on the last day we're like calling each other back and forth all the time and he's like man i just lost three big ones and three casts i was like me too dude i don't know what's going on so clearly there's still some tweaking that needs to be done to figure it out but it's so new to me that i don't know any better and I, you know it's just kind of but they were biting so well that it didn't matter that we were losing some fish it's kind of crazy to be in that situation where you're losing yeah. 18 fish and you're like eh, i'll just throw it the next one like whatever um but yeah was it a, and, is it a top water bait or yes, yeah, it floats. Sorry, if anybody didn't know that. Yeah, okay. it floats. So literally, you throw that thing out there, and what my buddy Ethan, the guide on the New River, um, what he calls it with their fly rod stuff, they call it the sploop when it lands, and like you got to make it sploop near them because right. they have to hear it hit because yep. that like triggers them. Like they're very to dialed in. Like it's amazing how far the smallmouth can sense it yeah. from. Like you can land it ten feet out in front of one, and he just boom beeline right to it. He knows like he's. Yep. He's eaten bugs before. He knows what's up. And so you were talking about the dragonflies. Mm-hmm. I know that they're eating dragonflies, but my buddy on the new, he said that usually the bug bite does not get good until um, it's hot in the summer and you can hear the cicadas in the trees. These are just the annual cicadas. It's not the crazy 17, mm-hmm. you know, madness hatch. But he said when you can hear those cicadas in the trees loud and it's really hot out, that's when it shines. And you can yep. watch all the clips in my YouTube video. They're freaking droning. You know, you can hear them so loud. And actually, the first morning of the tournament, while I'm catching them on a chopo, I, like, look down at my feet, and there's a big cicada that's half dead floating down the river. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> these fish are in trouble, you yeah. know. And I ended up seeing another one um, later in the tournament uh, also floating on the water half dead. And that's something I've never even really seen that before. I've always kind of wondered because you don't see those annual cicadas very often. But clearly the smallmouth do. And I'm kind of wondering if it's just they get eaten so quickly that we never have time to see them floating mm-hmm. on the surface. Um, right. My buddy on the new, he's had some coughing up cicadas this year. So 
They clearly eat them, even though it seems like you never see them that often. You hear them, but you don't really see them around. Um, yeah. I'd seen but, some at the house, Drew. I didn't like. I didn't have the brain knowledge to say, "Hey, maybe I should mimic that." No, it was. I thought yeah. smallmouth would be so stupid to eat whatever you put in their face, but no well, one's like, "No, are not that smart." <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, no, no, Bailey, you're right. I mean, most of the time they will, and obviously, a lot of people did really well in this tournament with the typical stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and the spinner baits and, and and chatter baits and chapos. But here's the deal: it's what Nolan said. To win every tournament you ever see one, whether it's Elite Series, you know, MLF, doesn't matter, man, what it is, almost every time somebody is doing something a little, like just outside the box, it's a little bit crazy, and they just found something so special. And a special spot is exactly what Nolan said. He could even afford to miss some fish and still win this tournament. And that is, that's a win, a real winning spot. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you're always going to miss some fish, but. You know, let's say somebody probably, I'm sure, finished right below them that just fished co- totally clean, and they still couldn't catch what Nolan caught. You know what I'm saying? Because he just had such – it was so dialed in. But to what you were saying about this insect thing, I actually knew they did this as well because another – a friend of mine, similar to you, Nolan, he guides for smallmouth on uh, in Indiana on a, a creek there that, that's actually – you catch like 21, 22. Even I know of 23s that will come out of it. And it gets real low in the summer, like you're saying. And he said, he one time he told me, he said, Drew, I would love for you to come over and just witness and not even fish, just float and just watch the smallmouth eat bugs in the lowest of low waters in the summer. Just watch them, sip them in, just kind of like a trout, just go over there and just nip them in. And you would never imagine a giant smallmouth would do that. And so I'd never seen it really like I did this year because it was lower this year than it was two years ago when we were there. And I was kind of, doing pretty well on you know moving baits that year but i noticed it in the middle of the river when i moved from that first spot you probably heard that a little bit of the story i was telling about my day when i saw them suspended and there was this huge pack of them and i saw that and and they were near the surface like you said they look real dark they're just like these logs just sitting there and if you ever fish saltwater it's like a barracuda or something just kind of sitting on near the surface they were all there kind of pointing different directions and it, it clicked to me the same way it clicked to you. Of course, I didn't have any preconceived like knowledge or thinking about this to go, you know, a, a, you know, to go get any baits that look like that to mimic that because I'd never seen that there before. And obviously I go back to the Airbnb Bailey and I said, dude, they're eating bugs. And I found them. And I said, everyone, I was like, who's got wacky rig hooks and stuff. I didn't even have anything like finesse and uh, whatever, but, it was pretty cool um, because when you said something, Nolan, on the the awards when we were watching it, I told Bailey, I said, "Dude, that he they're eating bugs, man. He found them they eating eat bugs the same bugs. way I did. The only difference is it sounds like you were were you floating or were y'all waiting uh, more? Or, and um, were most years singles or a couple together, or did you ever see a giant school like I found doing that? I definitely never saw a giant school. There would be a pool." that maybe a quarter mile long that had a lot of fish in it, but typically they were not really grouped up. They were singles or pairs. Um, and they'd be moving. Like the ones that bit the best would be covering some ground. Like they're cruising down the shoreline looking for something. Uh, they would hold on a boulder or on a log, but the problem with those fish, there were some other fishermen around and the fish that were living on the logs and the boulders, they got fished. for. Yeah. So they were a little, they would often, come and look at this thing and then be like eh, you know they'd nose up on it and they wouldn't commit right. to it where but if you threw a wacky rig at those fish they would run 
like you know so this is yeah. still i was getting a better response from skittish fish on the That's on the bug cool. but yeah so what i was doing i started at the bottom end of all the water i was fishing and i would just work my way up river the whole time because yeah. then your waves I mean, you, could, and you could definitely do well uh floating on these fish but it was so skinny in some yeah. of the places that these fish would get that it's really hard to fish towards those fish um mm. you sight fishing them you could do it but it just it's way easier when you're going at, facing to, toward their tails because if you see one you know you can just stop and the current's going to kind of slow you down whereas if you're drifting up on him and you spot his nose you're like oh you know you gotta make stuff happen really quick you don't have any time to readjust right. So were you pedaling then or paddling? Because, I mean, obviously you're going to get better sight standing. Plus you're probably, so, what, six foot something? Like six so foot? I, I caught maybe a couple of them standing. But for yeah. the most part, I was either waiting um, yeah. with the kayak. Like I had rope and I would just like drape it across my shoulders. Mm-hmm. So it was tethered to me. And that was when the fish, I mean, it's on the video from day two. My topwater stretch, they got kind of skittish um because i beat them up the day before i really didn't i mean i caught them well but i only made one pass through it the first day it's like a quarter mile stretch that i literally just walked and like fan casted my way up the river but when i came through it on the second day i caught some but they were small but i would still see the nice ones like waking like either spooking off of me wading through or they would come rush up to the bait and stop and so i made a second pass through there when it was still low light and i couldn't see and I'm walking my way up towards these, there's, there was like one spot that had a small concentration of them. It had a bunch the day before, like probably a dozen and it was freaking this deep. Mm-hmm. But then the second day when I came up to it, it still had a few. I caught a small one, but the other wakes looked like nice fish. So when I doubled back through there, as I'm getting up on it, I was trying to decide what I was going to throw because the chopper pretty much got the biggest fish to react. I tried some other stuff, a fluke. It was like, it didn't make enough noise or something to get their attention. Like you could catch some small ones on it, but it just wasn't quite right. I had a silent walking bait. I was using some, I caught some on that, but again, they still weren't that nice. But as I'm easing up on this little rock where these fish were sitting, I'm like, man, what, you know, I guess I'm going to throw the silent walking bait. Cause I already threw the chopo and they kind of didn't like it. But as I'm getting close, I see one's tail stick up out of the water like a redfish. And it was because he was in such shallow water that when he went down to eat a crawfish, his tail came out of the water. And I'm like, I'm grabbing the bug right now. So I literally turn around, like set the walking bit down, pick the bug up and fire it right to where that fish's tail was. And he goes, and it was a 17 and three quarter. I caught that one, measure him, unhook him. And then I go back up and then I just make a long cast out in front of the little riffle that the rock makes. And it lands, boom, 18 and a half inch reads. And these aren't fish that I can see. I just know where they're at. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I was like, well, I'm done throwing the top water. So I just kept making my same route up the river, but I was just splooping the bug all over the place, uh, throwing it out there. And, you know, just randomly you'd throw it out there somewhere and they can hear it from so far away. It's surprising how much water you can cover with it, even though pretty much your bite only happens right when it lands. I mean, he could be right. within five feet of him and he's like, oh, there it is. He swims over to it and eats it. And you'd see him coming, you know, they'd wake to it. I, yeah. I got to say, I think sploop has become my new favorite word. I love it. I've never heard it. <laughs> Ethan Stone and Britt. Britt is... They uh, get the credit. Britt's probably not happy that I'm talking about this, but it's okay. Britt's moving <laughs> to South Carolina. So awesome really friendships. Awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt, man, what you're saying, like when it landed it, you know, the fish that were aggressive and feeding when it landed, if you got it the right distance away, it couldn't be too far, but also couldn't be right on them. They would spook because yep. they were so shallow and you could do, you could fish for them like redfish uh, and pre-fishing. I did that a lot. You would see whether it was a, a catfish or a carp or bait fish or the smallmouth itself, it didn't matter. If you saw anything, you need to throw 10 feet in front of it. And then when that happens, 
a lot of times, I don't know if you saw this, but a lot of the bigger smallmouth will roam with the catfish. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw that, Nolan, or not, but, but the carp, it. yeah, the carp as well. So mm-hmm. carp and catfish, they'll roam with those. So when you see any activity like that, it's, you know, it's not like saltwater fishing. If you see that activity, a lot of times it's like, you don't need to be throwing at everything because there's mullet and just mullet, tons of yeah. stuff just everywhere. But in a river like this, it's crazy because it's, it's either, you know, bait or carp or catfish or smallmouth. And the smallmouth could be with the carp or the catfish, or they could be next to the bait. So it's like, man, you might as well go for it. Uh, But make sure your cast is 10 feet in front. And I was shocked. um, Well, not really shocked because I've seen it before, but people will be shocked at how shallow big smallmouth will get. Uh, They got somewhere to hide. And sometimes not even, it's not even somewhere to hide. It's like in those shallow gravel bars on the the head of islands or something. And Mm -hmm. you float right up on it. Next thing you know, it swims away and you're like, dang it, dude, there, I could have just thrown mm-hmm. there. That was a small mouth and you know, six, seven inches of water. Are you kidding me? It's, it's insane how, how shallow they'll get. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it definitely, I think paid off too, for some folks that like, as long as you're drifting, you should be casting if you can manage to, because they were so random. But I mean, that's another point we can get to in a second, but real quick, Nolan, we have uh JP Harrell asking, that's a light bait. And I know you mentioned you still have more, you know, dialing in for this bait to, to, to kind of work. But, uh, you know, what gear were you throwing this bait on? Yeah, so I was using Abu Garcia Zeta 30-size spinning reel with 10-pound X9 braid, Berkeley X9 braid on it, to an 8-pound good old Berkeley Trilene mono leader because fluorocarbon sinks and it makes the bug kind of dive down and you need it to stay right up on top. So when you twitch it, it gives a nice little pop instead of trying to dive. Um I was throwing it on a medium light. I think it's like a seven or a seven two winch, Abu Garcia winch rod. And that's because I was talking about the hook is pretty light on this thing. It's a pretty light wire hook. It's very sharp, but you can't put a whole lot of pressure on the fish. And well, you could and you would land one, but then your hook's kind of been like, I don't have a million of these things. And you certainly aren't just going to run down the road and pick up one from a tackle shop. So I had to be kind of careful with what I was doing. Like Ewing had two for the whole tournament. And I was like, look, man, you just got to wow. make it work. Like, yeah. like, do you have like a hook sharpener or that? Do, what? do you have a hook sharpener at all? Uh, no, the hook stayed pretty sharp. It wasn't really that. It was just that they start to kind of bend out, you know, when you catch it. I mean, cause right. strong, those river smallmouth, they're very strong. Uh, and sometimes the hook wouldn't penetrate all the way. That's when it, you know, kind of folds it out when it's yeah. putting all the pressure right on the end of the hook. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, same guy here is asking, how are you fishing that after it hits the water? Are you just dead sticking that sucker or are you giving it like line slacks? Like, what are you doing? So what I would do, I would throw it out in front of them. And usually when it would land, it would get their attention. You would notice the fish would react, you know, realizing that it's there. He swims over to it and usually they nose right up on it. And then you give it one little tiny twitch, just any little movement. That's what makes them finally decide like, bam, I'm going to eat it. But sometimes they'd get under it and you twitch it once. And then he just like gets on it a little more and you give it one more twitch and he gets on it a little more and maybe one more twitch and he would eat it. Typically though, they were going to get it right on the first one. Once you have to start moving it more, even if they're still interested, your odds of getting that fish to bite are starting to go down. If he's going to commit, it's pretty much going to be right away. And the best ones were the ones that you didn't have time to twitch it. Like it lands, you try to close your bail, and he's already in. It's amazing. Some of them will come completely out of the water to eat this stupid little bug, like a 19-inch fish (laughs) reaching. Yeah. That's another thing I was talking about my buddy Ethan. I was like, man, how is a bug that like how is it worth that effort to these fish i don't understand if it's 
somehow it tastes good to them or it's, yeah. it's more protein than a crayfish, which I can't really figure that part out either because there's so many crayfish in the river at the Susquehanna. Right. Like, are they just sick of eating crayfish? Are they tired of it? Then they want to yep. eat something new or is it, I mean, cause it makes no sense for me with all that food in there that they're like, yeah, I'm going to wait for that one little bug. And yeah. when I see him, I'm going to eat that thing. Cause like, I've got a theory new. on that. Uh, no one, I was actually going to bring this topic up. I have a theory on that. So man, like all animals, including us, whatever, we all have a lot of similarities just because we're animals. I don't know how to say this, but sometimes you have a craving for something and sometimes you have a craving for something different and your body knows like you need this or that. And I don't think smallmouth necessarily say like, Oh my God, like I, I'm so tired of crawfish. You know what I mean? But, but in a way like their instincts, their bodies may, may kind of say something like that. If that makes sense, because they can't eat bugs. There's only one time a year they can ever do that. The river has to get super low bluebird skies, no wind and the bugs have to be out. And that's the summer. And I just think that they, their bodies know they either need that or they do get sort of for a better way to say it. They get tired of crawfish. You know what I mean? I'm sure they do a little bit, it's just something unique and different. Um, or maybe in a weird way that it's, it's fun to them too, because those fish have a chance to eat anything like you're saying. And maybe it's just, it sounds so stupid. I know. And someone's gonna be like, man, I don't, I don't think fish think like that, but it's something like that could be very well possible because there's certain times a year they continue to switch from crawfish to these insects to um, bait fish. You know what I mean? They key on different things. And a lot of times in most rivers, it's because where they spawn and the pre-spawn, they deplete the, a lot of, you know, bait fish in that area or whatever, or crawfish or helgramites. And then where they winter, those fish haven't been touched or the, those prey haven't been eaten as much. So they kind of get replenished. They go there and it's kind of like the land of milk and honey again for them. And they kind of keep, doing that whole cycle but anyway you have a thought on uh, on that theory if that could be very well possible um real quick i just before i before yeah. we continue i want to uh, go ahead and tell everybody i know we're all going to go look out and buy this bait can we please wait until my buddies at fishing online get them in stock they already ordered them i was like guys you need to get more of these baits like people you know we're gonna we're gonna be buying them uh so if we can maybe like in honor of me giving up all this secret and really yeah. like talking about it just try to all the people that are watching right now like just please get them from fishing online like maybe get a couple from somewhere else but if you want to buy like half a dozen or more or whatever like please go to fishing online and get them from there that would that would mean a lot to me because i'm I definitely to I all to catch fish but i'm giving this up so like please just <laughs> do something for me in, in return yeah, I don't know I if I could give this up. So. Not, yeah, I definitely didn't just text <laughs> the boys at Omnia and say to get some stuff. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But for real, like when that goes down, uh, make sure you guys are checking out Nolan's video. So I'm going to drop the link down here. The video is up. His channel link is in the description, whether you're listening or you're watching. Make sure you're subscribed to this dude because not only is he unleashing some damn juice, fire tournament videos, fire saltwater stuff, like he does it all. So uh that's one thing we're going to talk about a little bit here but also well, follow my social because you'll get all the links to all the juice because nolan obviously has the knowledge here which nolan carry on i am going to yeah. drop the link down for you here uh someone asked it's an evergreen gizmo somebody just came in late that's what the bait's called evergreen gizmo every time i hear and like read the name of it i just think of mike iconelli going like gizmo like in his very oh yeah advertising <laughs> voice like that's all that's i can right. think of because that would be something that he would totally run with um but yeah it's a it's a goofy little bait and 
I accidentally uploaded one of my fish. I think y'all talked about it uh, on the first day and the bait was in the picture, which I was like, oh crap. But then I'm like, people probably think I'm messing with them. Like people would look at yeah. that and be like, no, nah, that's not, he's just, he's just having fun with it at this point. So I really wasn't that worried about it at that point. Yeah. Also, I knew nobody could get them, so they wouldn't be able to get right. them in time. Did you um, try, I'm just curious, did you try either uh, like a, a small hair jig or something like that? Uh, or did you try, and this is crazy, but I'm wondering if, if somebody drop shotted of a fly, you know what I mean? Like, I guess in the deeper water situations, like my fish were in like two and a half, three foot of water. I wonder if you could drop shot a fly on those fish and sit there and shake it and it would work just as good. Uh, Not a pattern. (laughs) I'm friends with, uh, with Mr. Oliver Nye and he was talking about drop shotting a fly up North. I know. I don't know if he wants me saying that or not, but he definitely was yeah. doing that. Um, I I don't know. For me, so I have a buddy who grew up on the Susquehanna. His name is Garrett Enders. He fished at Bethel University in college. Super good dude. Um, he doesn't live uh, in Pennsylvania anymore, but I talked to him about the river before I went also. And he was telling me he was like, I was hoping that he was going to describe the bug thing. Because when I talked to him, I had already talked to my buddy, Ethan. And I was just wondering, because, you know, Ethan was like, well, it might not be the same on the Susquehanna because it's further north and whatever. And I talked to Garrett. And the first thing this man says to me on the phone, he's like, this is going to sound really weird, but these fish, they really relate to bugs. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm way ahead of you. Like, this is what I need to hear. Um, But what he said that a lot of locals will do is they'll, they'll do what I did with this, but they use poppers. And I'm just scared to death of catching a smallmouth on a treble hook. So since this bait has one hook, I was a much bigger fan of doing that. But I know I'm sure that a small black popper would do well too. But yeah, in a tournament, you do not want to be throwing treble hooks if you have the option to throw a single hook, especially if it's a fish that's in this much water because there's only one way to go and it's up, and he's going to continue to go up and up and up, and you just yeah, it doesn't end well a lot of the time with treble hooks. Yeah, I I threw a uh, black hair jig. A bit too. I caught some fish on that. The only problem Catching was good ones on it? I caught an 18. Caught an okay. 18 on it on day one. But beyond that, it was just like it's one of those deals where you have such a small window because like once that thing gets in the current, I mean like good luck. You're not gonna be able to either catch up to it one or two, be able to I don't know. I think it's just hard. You gotta get in the pools and and I uh, granted I'm not Drew or I'm pointing this way here, this way. I'm not Drew <laughs> or this guy right here. So like these small current fisheries for me are interesting where I just relied on a spinnerbait and I should have switched to the spinnerbait. And this is actually one thing I wanted to bring up with you guys. I've already complained to Nolan extensively about this and (laughs) talked through on solutions I should have taken. Uh, But I got my heart broken several times each, both days on top and switched the spinnerbait. And I feel like I should have done that, made that switch much earlier, but it was predominantly spinnerbait and a little bit of hair jig if it, the situation was right. But uh, any, any, this is one thing that Nolan and I were talking about actually early today. So I made the switch. I was throwing a Chapo 75, which Nolan, you were throwing 75 version of a top, same plopper style top water. Yeah. It's just because of the supply chain screwed up. And so I couldn't get the right color, but I, I right. don't like the other one as much, but it was what I had to do. Sometimes you just got to right. And you switched up to a travel hook that we both agree is is makes a difference. Do you care if I unleash that at all? What are you talking about? No. So we switched to Ichikawa hooks, which I think definitely make a difference. But I was still having the issue. I even double split ring the back hook 
and and Drew, I'm actually curious your your take on this too, being that you guys are both river nuts. But uh, even I went from owner STX to Ichikawa's, and I was still having the problem. I was losing fish on top water, and the salute the one conclusion I came up with, and no one thought he, he could see this happening as well, was when no one was uh, catching his the fish on top, he's mostly wade fishing. Therefore, you're not moving, and you're able to somewhat get a little bit more leverage. Whereas if you're in the kayak floating downriver, catching them on top with those fish, you can kind of lose leverage a little bit easier or not get as much of a, a pinned hook set. What are your guys' takes on top water in the river if that has anything to do with it versus being stationary versus being moving? Um, I'll, I guess I'll go, go first. Yeah, so, go I, so I was fishing upstream. Um, and yeah, so I'm standing, you know, I'm, I'm in a fixed position when I hook these fish, but even when you're standing there, when these fish are in, you know, a foot of water and you're reeling that thing, I mean, you're moving it fast when they eat it, they're coming at you so fast that I don't care who you are. They're going to put slack in your line sometimes. Like there's times when one eats it and you're like set the hook and you're like, where the heck is my bait? And you're just cranking and the fish is coming at you. So if you're going downstream towards him and he does that, like you're going towards him and he's going towards you. That leaves a lot of room for error. Not that you really have a choice, but yeah, definitely could could play into that. Um, I fished a Bassmaster Open on the St. Lawrence last year, and I really had some bad experiences with treble hooks and smallmouth in shallow water because I was I have always used a round bend style hook that's just a razor sharp light wire. Don't really care who makes it, but that you know that style hook and just you know lean into them with treble hooks. That's always been my theory. Well, my smallmouth in Virginia. Are, their mouths are built differently than the ones further up north. Like once you get up, the Susquehanna fish were like this, but also the St. Lawrence fish, they have like a really thick lip and their their head is just, their heads are smaller because they grow slower. Um, so our fish in the South have bigger heads comparatively. And so it's, you really just have to completely rethink the whole treble hook theory. But what happened to me at the St. Lawrence is I didn't know any better. Um, so I was using those round bend hooks and I was losing fish, jerk baits, spy bait, losing them. And what I realized and what I know now is that I should have changed to an EWG style hook and just hit them hard because like, if you're going to get him, just, just hook him hard, you know, with the EWG style hook. Cause that holds on to him a little bit. You may not hook yeah. every fish that bites, but the ones that you do hook. And if you set that hook harder, once it's a lot harder for them to throw it when they get that EWG style hook in them. So that's why I was using uh, the mm. hooks that I wore. And that's why I'm kind of, afraid of round bends on smallmouth in warm shallow water because they just they're gonna jump and you just need something that's gonna dig in there and really hold on to them that's yeah. that's my theory with it that's good stuff Do you anything to add? yeah yeah sure man this this is gonna be a great a great episode man because we got a lot of juice here and I'll, I'll give some tips on this um so one if you're moving downstream and you're throwing ahead of straight ahead of your boat okay a lot when you're usually fishing a lot of top water you want to cut your covering water, you're going fast. So therefore you, if you're in a, a Hobie or something like that, you're pedaling in a, in a paddle boat like myself, you're paddling fast. One thing you want to do, um, it's why I use straight braid on all this stuff. I know people say their, their braid gets caught sometimes in their hooks or whatever on these baits. I never have that problem when you're slowing your bait down with your bait caster, with your thumb, the way you do that, do it properly. It, it just never seems to like have enough slack to get tangled up. So I don't have that problem. So I don't know if, if you guys ever, have that or don't, but I just throw straight braid like 40 or 50 pound on a top water like this. But if you're going fast, right? For, if you're casting forward, that's creating slack in your line as you're moving. It'd be like a trolling motor on high fishing, you know, on a bass boat. The difference with a bass boat is you can literally 
walk back, you know what I mean? And step back and really continue to hammer them by walking back on the deck to get that leverage needed on, on a kayak. You can't, and you're creating slack. So if you are, what I do is before I make a cast with the top water, if it's directly in front of me and I'm moving that way, I make a couple back paddle strokes and slow myself down real just it's like I, it's second nature. I don't even think about it. I do it a couple of times. I'm slower I'm slowed down to almost a stop. I bring that bait in. Usually like, like Nolan said, they're going to hit it in the first quarter of the cast when it's that shallow. And so I rip it back in, move forward till, you know, almost to where that cast landed almost, and then throw it again, do it again. But anyway, the other thing you can do on a top water, like a, um, well, if you're throwing to the side, by the way, 90 degrees to the side, it's not as big of a deal. But the main thing you got to remember, guys, is to, on a top water bait, like a, a chopo or plopper or whatever, I find it better if you're, uh, when you see them coming or whatever, or your rod tip is down and kind of pull down with it, never like pull up. That's kind of getting the bait up and out of the water and there's no friction because there's, there's air above the bait, right? There's no water. So you want to kind of pull down and into the fish. And that's, that's kind of one thing. It's a sweeping motion down and into the fish. I talked to some of the guys at the house about this. Um, so that's, that's one of the main things I would, I would mention. The other thing is when you get a fish hooked with a, a top water, like a treble hook bait, like you're saying, uh, a plopper or a chopo, the main, like a watch a video uh, when I won the Bassmaster Lewis Smith Lake, I caught a 19 and a quarter inch largemouth. I think it was 19 and a quarter, and I'm fighting it, and it's clear water, and you see it's got that one little hook, that back hook in its side of its mouth. The other thing you want to do on any topwater bait like this with multiple treble hooks is whenever they make a, a run one direction, it's, this really helps too because I'm using like a seven foot six rod, the longer rod for longer casts. It helps in this situation too. And I said in the video, man, I really want to get a second hook in this fish. So you want to do is bend it back as fast as you can, whip it back on them, and the bait gets back against the fish's body, and you can get that second hook usually on, on the underside of their belly. So try to get that second hook in if you can, and that will help you uh, keep some of those ones that just get that single hook in the back hooked up. So, Is that like a uh, low-key Mike Long type <laughs> of – Yeah. yeah <laughs> low-key, but at least I uh, – <laughs> already had them traditionally first, and then I was just kind of, you know, security. <laughs> yeah, security. Right. It's working a little That's bit right. more, but you, but you can definitely do that. You just have to be able to see in clear water and understand that you've got that one hook like that. And a lot of times they'll jump, and you'll see it, and you're like, oh crap, I got to turn this fish a couple times, and and yeah. hoping, pray to the river gods that it gets another hook in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think from that situation, what it was for me, and you know, it really was kind of the biggest example of a, a tinkering necessity, I guess, like it was a big issue in terms of gear and just more of how I was approaching those fish that I have ever run into. Like it was extremely difficult. And while like during the time, like while during the tournament, it was extremely frustrating. I mean, the, the drive home and also like yesterday, even like into today, like I'm still thinking about it. I'm probably going to think about it for a while, but like, I'm excited about it now because like, that's something, you know, a challenge I haven't really run into because typically you'll land some fish if your equation is not fully to where it should be. But this one, it was like, if you didn't have it right, I mean, it was like you're running the lottery if you're getting them in the boat, the way I was approaching it. And after talks with you, Drew and you, Nolan, I think I have a better approach for next time in terms of just straight up one, how you, you, approach the cast think boat positioning where you're directing the cast has a lot to do with this 
versus just the tackle you're using. But uh, I don't know. This this whole thing was, was was pretty exciting for me. And obviously not losing fish, but uh, I think the fact that this is a big learning lesson, I think was really cool, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Uh, and in stride with that, it leads me to Nolan. You know, going into this event, I mean, do you think your your spot was like? Uh, a very special i mean i don't expect you to talk about names areas or whatever i don't want to like let go of that but um your your area was it something that you think was special or do you think your technique did the heavy heavy lifting like what do you what did you think about practice and what did you look for in practice to kind of try to give you an edge on tournament days i mean probably a little bit of both um i know it's easy to say this i feel pretty confident that i probably could have cracked the top 10 if i've you know, if I, if I really committed to any stretch of the river and found the right, cause I think, I think fish acting like that were kind of everywhere. Uh, but I just wanted to be somewhere that had a lot of it going on. Um, yeah, the area for one, it was harder for people to get into there to access it. You had to either go up river or, or do some dragging there. It wasn't, you couldn't just float right into that place. So I knew that that would discourage some people, uh, especially just during practice, because there's a lot of people that were probably fishing stretches of the river, never intending to go there during the tournament, but just to try to kind of pattern mm-hmm. their fish. And so all those fish were getting pressure, but I knew that the fish in my area, even if people went in there, they weren't going to be pressuring them as much just because there'd be less people in there. Um, also, since it's calm water, those fish are smart. So a lot of the time, if there's fishermen in there, I don't really think they're catching them. Uh, that's how I felt in the tournament. Cause there'd be guys around me by the second day, I wasn't trying to hide anything. I'm just trying to burn it to the ground, catch as many as I can. And there would be guys within like low voice talking distance of me, which is fine. Cause we're all fishing, you know, it's not a huge river in certain places. So when we're passing by each other, it just is what it is. I'm not you know upset with anybody, but I mean, we'd be very close to each other. And I'd see one flick the bait out there, bam, bust that one, unhook it. Oh, it's only 17 and a half, throw it back okay, here's another one, bam, catch that one. And the guys are just sitting there not catching anything. And that's, you know, and that's, I mean, you have to be kind of confident and in your head go like, when you're around people, you got to think like, I'm better than these guys. I'm going to catch the fish that they're not catching. Because if you if you don't think that way, if you're thinking like, oh, he's catching my fish, it's not going to go well for you. Right. Somebody's always got to catch them. You know, if if there's, there's a community hole or an area that's being used by several anglers, somebody's going to catch the fish. Uh, it's easier to get, you know, the short end of the stick when you're around other people having to share fish, but there is somebody that's always going to have to come out on top. So mm-hmm. a lot of that is, is your, your mental approach to that. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with Dave Chappelle at all? Oh yeah. 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 Nolan, are you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you were describing, you, you told it here, but you also told me on the phone how you had a bunch of people around you and they were like, just watching you catch fish and you didn't care if they're around because you were obviously doing something so unique. Well, there's the scene of, of Dave Chappelle where he did the thing where he's like, gotcha, bitch. Like every yeah. time, I don't know why that was like popping in my head. Everybody <laughs> you're describing that where you just like didn't care if they're there and they're like trying to fish around you and you're like, nah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When it, you know, if, if it, I don't know, maybe if it was like somebody that I knew was like in second place or whatever, I'd be like, Hey man, can we work out to where like, I'll take this side of the river or you take that side. But right without trying to be too rude. If, if I looked at somebody and it didn't really seem like they were probably going to be catching my fish, I was yeah. just like, whatever, I'm not going exactly. to back off because then he's going to be like, Oh, that Nolan guy thinks he owns the whole river. He kept telling me to leave. So I'm like, I'm just going to catch fish right in front of him. So he, yep. he, <laughs> it definitely is. depends on you. Yeah. You have to it, it, like game can kind of like tell game. You know what I mean? Like, and you can tell if an angler is, you know, a real threat or not. 
And, you know, I'll give credit to the guy in my story. He is, was a real stick and he ended up, I'm not going to say what place he was. I mean, I didn't say anything bad about him. He didn't do anything wrong, but he, he raced and, and knew where all the juice was and, and anyway, and hit it. But, um, before I could get there, um, but he, uh, he knew what he was doing. And so I was kind of like, I can't just sit there and, and go right past him. Otherwise, you know, I want to get way upstream and get separated. And then of course I saw people catching fish all my other spots and I could either wait for those fish to reset or the ones that caught probably aren't going to bite again that day. So you definitely have to assess, like you're saying, knowing it, the people around you, if they're really, you know, able to catch a threat. And usually I can tell by, I can watch you cast one time and tell if you're a threat. It just, that's all it takes me is to see you cast once or twice. Mm. Um, and then you guys know what I'm saying. Like you, you can yep. just tell <laughs> like, if you've asked fish long enough, you know, like this yep. guy, right. He's at the um, well, I mean, that, yeah. that's a, that's a good, sorry, go ahead. Noah. Um, I was going to say, so where I was sight fishing, my fish, had I tried to go there into the morning, in the morning, yeah. there was too many people there. I could literally see, and I knew people were going to be there because in practice, if you floated through there, you would see the fish. Um, it's, it's not like they're hiding. It's not like those fish were hidden right. from anybody or, you know, they're hiding up under a rock. Like they're just swimming around in two feet to maybe four feet of water that I knew people were going to know they were there. Um, so I fished, I had some top water shallower stuff. Like I was talking about early, that's where I would fish. And I could see very distantly up the river where my sight fishing stuff was. And there were kayaks all over the place first yeah. thing in the morning and they'd be working towards me, but I would just keep an eye on them. As long as they weren't coming down into my top water stuff, I really wasn't worried about it. And then once the sun would get up, I'm sure the fish up there, maybe they're catching some early in the morning, but in the calm water, they're very spread out. So it's not very efficient to try to catch those on the chopo type bite, you know? Um, so once the sun got up, those guys would kind of, I guess, lose confidence because the bite was probably slowing down up there. And I knew that at that point I could go up there and they would be clearing out. Right. They probably voted the stuff I had already hit. And I did that both days. It worked out really well. Yep. Um, and that That's exactly why I went and killed about three hours in the morning at a different spot, top water, all that, a different spot. And I knew my fish in the middle of the river, nondescript area, like no one was there the day before when I found them. I mean, I have those fish all to myself come, you know, 10, 10, 30, 11, when that's the time that sun's getting up, clear, clear water, like no, no wind. That's the time those fish are kind of doing that. And I just, sometimes you gamble and you lose. And I lost with, with Carl from Carl's bait and tackle in the canoe sitting there, sitting there right on top of them. I was like, I can't believe dude. Like, but I had to take that gamble to win. You have to almost do that. Cause I needed to pick up a few and I'm again, I missed some, some big ones that morning. You had to pick up a few, like you're saying in the morning on that top water, mm -hmm. those are Absolutely. just bonus fish. Yep. And then a lot, every year in the Susquehanna, I catch, I'd say one or two bonus fish where you see him chasing bait, you know, all of a sudden you just mm -hmm. throw over there. Cause he's in a serious feeding mode and you catch that fish. Cause he's aggressive. Um, Champlain that happened to me as well. Several fish. So, you know, a lot of times you win a tournament, you get a couple of fish that are bonuses you weren't expecting. And then you go to the stuff you are expecting and just continue to, compound in a good way so um you know but no one was up there really seems like too much once once the sun was up high and of course they weren't doing the same thing you were so it worked out great for you now what percentage of the time nolan were you throwing the bug um just without sighting the fish and what percentage was it you were only picking it up if you saw one like were you just kind of randomly throwing it without actually seeing them too so uh, the only place i was really throwing it at random was um that little spot I told you about in the morning they'd be in that was really shallow because right. it was a very small spot that it was like maybe the size of a truck 
Um, yeah, and you knew and they were there. Half yeah. the water. I knew that like for whatever reason, and it really didn't seem that much different than everywhere else. I mean, there was, there was a ledge adjacent to it. So I guess maybe those were fish that would go out there during the day, but first thing in the morning, they wanted to be up eating. Um, but yeah, I would throw it there. And then uh, besides that, once that sun got up, I knew that it was a better use of my time to just be looking. And if I, I literally, if I right. didn't see the fish, I, a lot of the time I wouldn't throw it. Maybe I'd see a, a cool boulder that looked like it could hold one. And just right. since I'm, since I'm already passing through, I'm going to throw to it. But the nice ones that I was catching, it was never a surprise. It was like, yeah. oh, there he is. Throw you're Florida, you're Florida red fishing, not Louisiana red fishing. Yeah. At that yeah. point. We were in the outer banks in clear water too. And yeah. honestly, the only thing I would compare what I was doing with that bug closest thing I've done to that was this summer. I was sight fishing sheephead with weightless fiddler crabs and they're like very, <laughs> very skittish and you have to throw way out in front of them. And a, a fiddler crab with no weight doesn't weigh anything. And I was throwing it on the same medium light spinning rod. Like that's the only thing I've ever done that's comparable. And then when you hook them, you actually, instead of trying to fight it to the boat, you just kind of like chase them. Cause it's like a foot and a half of water and it's a way better to not pull on that fish as hard. And you just follow him around until he starts to, you know, try to jump or shake right. his head and you can get him in the net. It's not like he can go anywhere. That's what I was doing with all the small mouth. I literally like, yeah. you'll see it in the video. I would hook him and then just start running around after him with the kayak behind me. Yeah. That's so cool, man. I, it's such a fun fight. The other thing to think about too, that the sun's in the Southern hemisphere and, and Florida Keys sight fishing for me taught me a lot of things about shallow, clear water fishing for permit, throwing a little crab like that. And, you got going upstream the way that river's going north to south going upstream you've got more sun coming back that direction it's more a little bit more at your back so you had a better angle on the fish with the sun on top of everything mm -hmm. else you had going for you and so this is now this is a really cool story um last little bit of juice i will say if you do find them guys if you're listening to this and you ever run across a big school like i did the main thing you don't want to do is throw in the middle and bust them all up because what I had to do, it's kind of like what Nolan was saying earlier. I had to make a cast that was like 10, 15 feet on the outside of this. Imagine my fish all in a big 75 yard circle, huge radius of just tons of them. I had to throw on the outside about 10 feet, 15 feet and pull about three or four of them to my uh, jig and crawl. And then when I did that, it didn't blow up the whole school. And those three or four got a little competitive and I would just twitch that crawl and they would eat it. And then I could keep working my way around that entire circle and keep pulling off fish that hadn't been spooked yet. Haven't seen the bait. And I ended up catching about 20 out of that school of, um, of maybe 75 to hundred. It was, I wish I had a drone. I really wish I had a drone, but, but anyway, you just want to make sure you maximize that school as much as possible. And if I had some more finessey stuff for this, this fly, this gizmo, there's no telling how many uh, I probably could have could have picked off. Yeah, yeah, it's a good so, bait. Yeah, I have a uh, one thing I noticed. I'm curious if you guys kind of noticed the same, and I'm curious if you have a theory as to why or whatever. Because obviously, this I mean I fished rivers, right? But like St. Lawrence River is completely different, I think, in terms of the Susquehanna River. Maybe not in how entirely they set up, but maybe on how they behave. But one thing I noticed is my biggest bites, at least on top water in the morning, were not at your eddies or your ledges, but in the in between, like almost like your random rogues. Yeah. And yeah. I'm curious if you guys noticed that. And then two, if you have a theory behind it. I just think big smallmouth are lazy, big river smallmouth. Like, yeah, smallmouth, he can be mean and get up in the current, but in the summertime, I think he 
because I've fished tons of rivers growing up around me. Usually when you catch a bigger smallmouth, he's not in the riffle. You'll catch a 15, 16 inch or you might catch 10 of them in a riffle. But if you're going to catch a big one, he's usually somewhere that has current, but it's flat water. Steady current, but flat water or, or slow current, but it's flat bubble water. trail like that yeah. little bubble trail it's stuff. Usually, yeah. It's usually not, they're usually not in your, your fastest current. And for me, what was the best part of the pools I was fishing? Cause the pools, I mean, they might be like a quarter mile long on the Susquehanna when you had, a, you know, a little more depth to it, but just anywhere that you could pedal that, you know, that's what I'm considering a pool. If you could pedal, yeah. it was a pool yeah. um, because there was not much water in the river. Usually like the back third, you know, like, like where they would sit, it would be, say this thing starts to kind of choke down at the end right. and the current kind of picks right. back up. They're going to be just in front of where that, like if there's a rock, you know, that's kind of, you can see it's, it's not a rock that's creating like a swirl. It's almost just like a little bubble, like a little wake that's staying constantly. Cause that rock is, you know, they'll be sitting just in front of that. And again, it's not fast current. Um, and a lot of times it'd even be slow current where you catch them, but just flat water. And I just think it's that the bigger smallmouth, they're just lazy and they're, you know, if, there's food everywhere on Susquehanna. So it's not like they have to be in a riffle to be around the food. And if they can be around the food and not have to work as hard, I think that's why they're, you know, setting up in the places they are. And I think it's nice because most people you're very attracted to the riffles. Like I saw guys that would get on a ledge that's got water swirling around it. I wasn't even catching anything on those things. I don't know if y'all were like, you'd catch a couple little ones, but I felt like I should have been able to Link a Ned rig into that stuff, right. and you should have been able to catch one on every freaking cast, but you wouldn't catch that many. And then in the tournament, I'm watching guys like camp on those spots while I'm murdering the fish, yeah, 200 yards away, thinking like I don't want to be fishing up there. And they're just, you know, I'm like having my way with these fish over here, and everybody's focused yep. on these beautiful rapids. I'm like, there's no fish there. I, I couldn't figure it out. It was. Yeah, awesome. We're saying we're saying way too much here. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's no, fine. no one's that's right. What people want to know. Uh, when I was with I was with Nick Robinson, who uh, had big fish on day one. I've kind of been coaching him, um, a good friend friend of mine, and become a good friend. He, he just hired me to be a, a coach for kayak fishing because uh, he wants to kind of do it more as he retires down the road. But anyway, I was teaching him about that. I said, Nick, they're in these nondescript areas, is what we call them. That's what they're in. The nondescript areas, there it's slower moving. I think it's a couple things. Like no, another thing he said. Um, well, earlier we talked about, I think it's also, that's the best place for them to eat these bugs because it's, it's calm. It's, it's slower mm-hmm. and they don't have to use a lot of energy, but also it's calm. So they, there's nothing on the surface riffling where they can get these bugs that they seem to just prefer and enjoy this time of year. Um, and then the other uh, thing I was going to say is like you said, when you do catch the big ones that are in that swifter kind of in the shoals and the rapids, it's usually in the spring. Um, they're feeding up heavy on some other kind of bait in the spring, but really a lot of times it's, they're in the more of the when it starts to that a big rapid or big you know um, tail out the tail out portion they're not right always right up in that pool where you would expect a fish to be a lot of times they're actually further you actually can throw in the rapid up in the rapid and as your bait comes down right when it starts to begin to like peter out and not be such a hard flowing rapid they're kind of like down below because the rapids are obviously going over shallow water so that current's ripping even when it passes over the rocks that are shallow, creating the rapid, that water's still moving fast on the surface. And the further away you get from that rapid, it's obviously even calmer down under there. And they're just looking up, sitting still, being lazy, like you're saying, Nolan, in calm water, even though our eyes see fast water. But yeah. they're down in the calm looking up. Striper will get like that too. But yeah. um, anyway, that's where your bigger smallies do tend to come from. But they're 
it's it's just awesome the way it works because it's not the obvious stuff and that's what i love about bass fishing if it was so obvious it'd be easy it w- we would all just go out there and visually just crush 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 but that little separator of a 15 inch fish to a 17 or 18 19 20 that's the stuff you got to learn and you got to know and that's what's what wins tournaments and it's yeah I, I always use the stupid analogy there's a reason why olympic swimmers started shaving their hair on their bodies to gain point you know three seconds in their entire race because that's the difference at this level it takes and nolan you know you know better than any, anyone else you've been in the opens with all those boats it takes you sh- shaving all the hair on your body to gain that extra something to win and uh <laughs> you shave so, your legs that, he's gonna, mike's gonna shave it's like, yeah. for the opens now i hope he does mike that might help you out there you go <laughs> no it's there's an interesting point though uh no when you mentioned that back third like for those bigger bites mm-hmm. so there was yeah. one system that on a float that had basically three sets of eddies like you have your one that was like the biggest, like most visual. Second one was a little bit more subtle, and the third one was the most subtle. And that's where I got all of my good bites on. And fun fact, that's actually where I lost my Fenwick Abu combo that your brother found for me. And, he and later told me that's where he was getting Yeah, that's where he was getting all of his bites. So I learned shit. I mean, I'm screwed. Ewing's fishing this. And I was like, yeah. going back to our point of like not getting in the way of somebody in contention, you know, for a quick lesson for folks, like I talked to Ewing day two and told him like, if you see me around or if there's something I'm going to avoid, cause like, look, like I was in contention to cash a check, but he was in contention to win. It is ethically my duty. I shouldn't say duty, but like it's the right decision. I should say in the sport where I should bow out to Ewing in that position, say if he were to see me. But once I learned that he found my rod and where I realized I lost my rod going through GoPro footage, I was like, oh, damn, you and I are sharing this area. And that's where he, you know, I went through and I caught my day two limit basically right there. And he goes through and later tells me he caught an even bigger bag of smallmouth that I never saw. And I just, just chalked it up to he's way better than I am. So it was like <laughs> one of those things where I'm just glad to get my rod back. So huge shout out to Ewing for finding that. But like it furthers proves that point of like that back third. I thought that was super yeah. interesting. Yeah, it was, it was kind of freaking me out because me and him call each other, you know, because we're allowed to call each other during the Hobie series. You can right. talk to people on the water. It's great. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was talking to him on day two and I was kind of freaked out because first thing in the morning, he'd like call me up and the whole time while we're having a conversation, he's just fishing his chopper. He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that was behind it. Oh, like. Just, and I'm like, dude, do you need to like get off the phone so you can focus? Like, is this all right? He's like, no, man, it's just a lot of them are missing the bait. And that that's just part of fishing that bait early in the morning yeah. is that you're not going to trick all of them, but it's such a good way to catch a big one that you just got to commit to it and know that if you're doing it right, you're just going to be having fish miss the bait and slap at the bait. That's just part of it. But yeah, I think he was around more fish than I was, to be completely honest. I think my area just set up to where I could stay there. Um and he had to, you know, continue floating through. He couldn't just sit there and be like, all right, well, I'll fish for these ones for an hour and then I'll go to the other ones. You know, he, his spots were spread out. Um, he was around a lot of fish. That's what I know. And uh, I know on day two, at one point, like later in the afternoon, it was when he was still in third and I was in the lead and we're, uh, Jake Harshman was between us. I'm on the phone uh, with him and he's like, he throws the bug out somewhere and he sees a great big one get under it and he's like freaking out and it finally eats it. He catches it in his 20-incher, and I'm like, heck yeah, dude, because I knew that put him above 
harshman, but like there was still right. like two hours left to fish, and I'm like, I hope you didn't catch too many more of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you slow down there, bud? Yeah, I got to step on the gas. That big. Um, my biggest fish was a 19 and a half that I caught right off the bat uh, on day one on it on the chopo. Literally off the bat. Yeah, it was it was like the first like two milliseconds of my day when I was fishing. Yeah. But, uh, that's on the video. Yeah, y'all don't awesome. have to watch for very long if you want to see that one. Um, yeah, I, I I would be curious going back um, in the future. You know, people are always afraid to give up their stuff in a tournament. Um, I'm trying to look at the big picture and know that people are going to like it a lot more if I talk about this stuff and hopefully, you know, would want to keep up with me instead of if I'm holding out for hoping that someday in the future I manage to make it back to the Susquehanna, it's just as low. We're there at the same time. And somehow, you know, cause this is a very specific niche bait. It's not going to always work. Um, if it would have been cloudy, we probably wouldn't have caught them very good on it, but we just got lucky and had some sun. Um, but I would be really curious to see what the rest of the river you know, had I, had I spent more time on it? Cause if I go back now, I probably wouldn't go to my same area very much. I would just be looking new stuff. And I'm yep. sure there's other stuff out there, uh, to be, to be unlocked still with it. And I'm like, man, if we go back in the future, like even, cause I'm telling you right now with my YouTube video and the locals, like they're going to see the landmarks. There's obvious landmarks that I don't care. I'm just posting it cause the fishing's cool and I'm not trying to hold anything back. People are going to know where it's at. But then that might be next time we go back, everybody's trying to go to where I caught them. Yeah, and then exactly. I go to explore somewhere else and I can make it work there. I mean, it's yep. tournament fishing. You just got to half of it's outsmarting the fishermen. That's it you is. Know, knows that. But that's that's why you and I were able to do so well this time is because we, yep. we just, you got to outsmart the fish, but also you got to be a step ahead of the next guy. So to me, part of tournament fishing is like when we go back, if we ever go back, I'm just going to have to adapt and, you know, do something else. It's, the odds of you like going and doing the same thing again and like it's, it all. I, dude, you I, had a Drew Cook. But I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, you had a Drew Cook situation. I mean, it's only going to happen sight fishing for that many days on Santee Cooper in a row to win a tournament once every blue moon. And that's what mm -hmm. I actually told that to somebody. I said, man, they had sun. They had no wind. The they were biting the bugs. I'm telling you right now, that's what he did. I, I didn't know yet for sure. I said, I, I, you just made a comment. We had the smirk. You did something unique, different. So, and I knew it. I said, that's, that's what it was. Once I'd found that school doing that, I, I knew, uh, but you're right. You got to outsmart the fishermen. Sometimes people look at me and they, you know, the, the stuff that I like to do, I'm known for getting into some pretty wild and crazy places. But then sometimes I go to places that are so obvious because I feel like everyone is now looking for the wild and crazy. And now it's like these obvious places are so overlooked. Sometimes you got to keep zigging and zagging mm -hmm. and it's, it, you know, it didn't work for me this time <laughs> with the, Carl's bait and tackle sitting there, but you got to zig and zag a lot in this. Uh, and that actually brings the question I had for you, uh, Nolan, because I almost can guarantee you, you had something happen to you. Uh, I'm sure in the opens to, to miss the elites by one point, I'm sure there was something, you know, somewhere where somebody had a boat draw that, that beat you to a spot or something like, and all that, you would think that something probably occurred like that. But I guess my question is, and I don't know if there really, there is an answer to this um, because we, can't pick up and move 70 miles an hour if you have a spot and you float down a river or you paddle on a lake and it's two three four miles away and you get there and a boat is there or another kayaker uh you certainly need to have plan b's and c's and d's i always tell people in doing this tournament fishing thing but don't you think that's probably one of the one of the biggest differences in kayak fishing would be the challenge of man if that does happen and they're on a actual spot that's 
pretty small, not an area, you really got to, you know, all your chips are kind of in at that point. It's, it's, yeah. it's a challenge. I wasted, you know, four hours, the entire tournament day and had to refine new stuff. So, uh, but it's hard to pull the plug when you're going to waste that much time and you know it. But Yeah. So what I'll say is like, you know, you have to, you have to approach it completely differently, obviously. Uh, for me, when I'm fishing in a bass boat, I've always been like the run around like a chicken with my head cut off type fisherman. That's how I do the best is just to hit as much high percentage stuff of whatever is high percentage for me at that time at that lake. It's very rare that I'll sit in a stretch and fish. Um, usually I may squeak by when I'm doing that, but I'm not going to be doing great doing that. But in a kayak tournament, you're not, you don't have the option to move around very much. So I like to look at it of, I want to find an area and not only do I have to figure out that good pattern, but I got to figure out pattern B, pattern C, all within that Close area. To it, so that yeah. if somebody is doing this and I wanted to be doing this, well, at least while he's right there, I'm going to go do this. So I had those topwater fish first thing in the morning. Then I had my sight fishing stuff. There was a bridge that was stacked, but I knew those fish were probably going to get fished like there i saw a pod of probably a dozen fish that were all 17 to 19 plus hanging out together on this bridge and i threw the bug in there one time and you know i knew it was game over but i also knew people were going to see them and they got fished for so hard during practice and during the first day of the tournament when i showed up there in tournament day they were all gone uh probably just from being harassed they probably didn't even get caught they were just so tired of having baits thrown at them um but yeah so i had that and then also i knew that very last resort um, there was a long, really long pool that didn't have a ton of fish and it was big enough that the wind could blow in it. And like, then you can't see, but it had flats on either side and the carp would go up to feed there. And if you found a smallmouth with a carp, I'm not talking about five carp with a smallmouth trail behind them. I'm talking about one carp up there feeding and there's a smallmouth with him, like a stingray with a redfish mm-hmm. on it. And he is with that carp and he's waiting for that carp to chase something up. That was like my my last ditch effort that was like, well, if nothing else happens, I'll just go and look for those fish that follow those carp because I know there's not going to be anybody doing that. Um, And also it was a good way to catch a big one. That was actually my plan Mm -hmm. for if I had a good limit the first day, I was like, well, I'm just going to go up to that no man's land up there and just go hope I stumble across some big ones following the carp. And that's not that far off of what I actually ended up doing um, once I had caught, you know, a bunch of fish, but yeah, mostly just, having your area and then you got to figure out how to catch all the fish in that area. Not just the ones that are up feeding. You got to figure out the ones that are up feeding. You got to figure out the ones that are lazy and don't want to bite and are hanging out deeper. You got to figure yep. out every single fish in that area. Cause there are way more bass in the areas we fish than we give credit um, for. Like I've been in electro fishing boats before. There's a lot of bass in these places we catch them from. When you catch one bass there, there was probably five or 10, um, yep. you know, and, so there's always another way to figure out how to catch them. Yeah. And it's kind of cool with a kayak tournament. It, you know, if I, if I ended up going back to the opens, I think I would probably think about things a little differently now just because knowing how to – it's not always about being there, you know, like being in the best spot. It's like you just got to be there when it happens. You know, you might be on those fish, and until they decide to do it, doesn't matter. But what I've found in a yeah. kayak is if you're stuck there – you know, all of a sudden stuff starts happening for reasons that we don't understand, reasons that we cannot comprehend fish just all over the lake. You know, it's these bite windows. Turn on. There's maybe it's stuff with the moon, the majors and the minors. That's a whole nother rabbit hole to dive down. But there's something out there that controls what makes the fish bite. And so as long as you are there when it happens, and I think a lot of times running around, that the problem with that is that you might miss it because you're moving when it's happening in a kayak yeah. at least. 
you're there when it happens. Makes sense. It's true. What about the opens? Any other, uh, you gonna keep doing little kayaking and get back into boat stuff or, or is this kind of stuff really like really enjoying this now? (laughs) No, I mean, I really love it. Um, I love to compete. It honestly stresses me out really bad because I put so much pressure on myself because, like, I, I hate to be this guy. Like, I, st- I still haven't bombed one. Like, legitimately, I have not bombed one before. And it has to happen at some point. So every time I'm like, this is it. It's coming. Like, and so I'm just – I got so much pressure on myself because, you know, everybody just expects me to catch them. And I, I somehow usually will find a way. But it's – people think I'm, like, always on them. There's so many tournaments where I've had good finishes where it just flat out sucked and I was – dressing the whole time and i caught like six fish a day um and so right now what i'm trying to do is be smart with my money the opens is a very terrible way that is not a smart thing to do with your money um if you get in a point where you have the money that you can afford to lose and do it that way there's some people that you know right out of the gates when they're young they have the support to be able to do that if i was in their position i'd probably do that but for right now me it's not a good idea for me to do that um there may be a day in the future that's an option uh, for right now, I think YouTube seems like an avenue for me to potentially make money. So maybe one day down yeah. the road, that that would be something that I could be doing. The kayak stuff is awesome because it's accessible to everybody. I love that because honestly, fishing at the opens level, yes, you're fishing against the best guys, but there's so many good fishermen out there that you're not even competing against because they can't do it. Like it's really just it's a group of good fishermen, but yeah. it's also a group of good fishermen that just have weird scenarios in their lives that allow them to do it. Like you get, there's so much more that happens than just being able to catch bass to be able to fish the open. It's insane that guys all have unique situations to where they somehow have the money and have right. the time. And that's very rare. Uh, but with the kayak stuff, it's really neat. It, I mean, it still requires time, but the financial side of it is a lot more affordable and you can make money doing this. Even before yeah. this win, I have made money at every tournament, expenses included, which is crazy. Like that's yep. that's insane. I there's not there's no BFL out there that you're going to do that in. There's I'm really excited with what the future holds for this. I just I hope that the younger people start to think the kayak fishing is cool because for some reason, since you're not going 70 miles an hour on a big sparkly boat, it's harder to get people to catch on to it. But I like fishing for fishing. I think right. fishing's awesome. I don't care if I'm on the bank. I don't care if I'm in a $120,000 boat. It's all cool. Uh, but for some people, I guess it is not the same way, but I'm hoping there's enough people out there that love fishing just for fishing that they will eventually start catching on and this will gain more traction than it already is gaining. Preach it, dude. I agree. Definitely. I agree. think that's a, uh, damn good way to wrap this sucker up because I don't know if my brain can fathom the amount of juice that y'all just laid out for us, but I think, I think a lot of people are going to be like, Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, but that was a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, but no one for real, dude, one congrats on 10 grand. Congrats on the win. Uh, you were basically already TOC qualified with your three finishes prior to that being all better than, than 20th. So I'd say you're, you were in the TOC and now you are legitimately 100% without it out in the TOC. Yeah. So you are basically double qualified and I'm looking forward to spending week, week and a half, whatever the heck it is down Louisiana with you for TOC and, uh, Hopefully the guy up here in the, the uh, top corner there. will stop getting his butt spanked <laughs> by me in river fisheries. Yeah. And, uh, we'll get, <laughs> you you paid Carl to you pay Carl to go there and follow me. 
That's what you that's right. did. You did. Yeah. You're very well on the no. way. Uh, I, I don't I don't keep up with people enough to know what your other finishes are this year, but certainly 21st is definitely one of those three. Oh, yeah. that'll, that'll go along yeah, that'll be fine. I, I haven't fished a lot of them, honestly. Um, but, uh, I mean, last year I was second heading into the TOC, and my little girl was born early, so I didn't get a chance to defend the AOI from 2020. And, and Ewing had an unfortunate, you know, I think he what, had four fish one day. And so I think he's fired up. I think he's fired up. You're he's fired scared. up. Uh, I think I'm not going to be in the hunt for that, obviously, but I'm going to be at the TOC. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be at Wolf and Fox. Uh, I spent a little time doing the Bassmaster thing. I focused on the Bassmaster Kayak Series, and um, so I got two wins and a seventh over there. So I, I just need one good finish at Pickwick, and hopefully I can go get the AOI over there. But I'm going to try to be at the TOC. I think I'll make it with the Wolf and Fox plus Dardanelle, where I won in 2020. So I should uh, be able to hopefully put together some good finishes and see you guys there. Maybe let's get a house together and uh, – just, you know, make it happen. Hey, last thing, fishing online, Evergreen Gizmo. I don't think they have them right now, but I was talking to my buddy Seth who works there and I asked him how many they had ordered and he told me the number and I said, you're going to need more because I know that you guys out there want this bait and you can't just get one because, you know, it's no. a fragile little bait. You got to get you a couple. So please get, like, go to fishing online, get those things. Colors. If they're not there, maybe go get you like one from Tackle Direct or whatever, but just wait till you got to get five or six. Get them from get them from my buddies because that'll mean a lot. Yeah, too. for sure. So hey, congrats no one... again. I haven't. Oh, go ahead, Bailey. I'll go ahead, Drew. You're good. I was I'll... just saying congrats. I haven't said congrats Thank to you, you. and uh, you. to Ewing. Ewing is probably out there listening or will maybe. Congrats, man, to you as well. I mean, that should not be overlooked. Uh, just what an amazing finish he did. I know we talked about it at the beginning, and to everybody that that cash checks there, it's it's you know it's not easy to do. Of course, the top ten percent. The other thing I'll say uh, real quick is is. You know, watch out for these guys because you guys are in a different time of your life than, you know, than obviously I am with a couple of young kids and, and wife and family. And that's what I think makes you guys so scary is that, you know, you co- you grew up in a generation where life scope was and all that stuff is kind of just I mean, it just came about. But you get it like it's part of it's almost second nature for you guys. So um, and you're pretty well versed in that, too. I mean, as far as I know. Right, Nolan? I mean, you, you're great. Yeah, it's electronics a every fish I caught was on yeah. the- on live scope and i cast a check there so i'm i feel pretty good about that stuff too. that's right that's deep or that that's deep right. i gotta stare at them on the screen there's just bass gotta catch them and that's where you i think you guys are you know bailey you're right you know i'm including you all, all these guys you guys are super scary because you have the original the river fishing stuff like you're saying uh which is kind of what i you know love to do obviously and grew up doing but but the understanding of the electronics to go with it and and those are the anglers, like the the polynics or the wheelers, people that can do shallow and visual stuff, and also electronics. And the, and the biggest key is know when to go where, when to do what. That's the hardest decision once you have all this technology, because you know how to catch them shallow, you know how to catch them on electronics. But I just want to say a shout out to you guys that you guys are are the the next generation, the future of, of all this, and you're you're super scary. I mean, in a in such a good way that you you know how to do all of the above. And so I just want to say congrats, keep it up. And uh, us guys, uh, you know, with the, with the, the kids and the families and all that, we're going to continue to do our best to, to try to fight back. But uh, you guys are awesome. And I love watching it. I love seeing it. Keep doing the YouTube stuff. I'll try to send people your way. And uh, man, I just am glad to see this sports in good hands and where it's going with you guys. Good deal. Appreciate Thank that, you. Drew. Heck yeah. Well, guys, uh, I, I'm, 
seeing a lot of good feedback already in the comments from this show. So it sounds like Nolan, I guess we're going to have to get you back on. I guess we're forced to get you back on the show a few All more right. times. So hopefully we'll get you it. back on here. He gives up juice. <laughs> That's right. I mean, we'll probably have to, we'll, we'll just substitute you. We'll never have, yeah, yeah. We'll never have Drew on ever again, and we'll just bring you on as substitute. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, all in good fun. Uh, but uh, Drew, hang around here for a little second. Uh, Nolan, it's been a pleasure, buddy. Congratulations yeah. again. Looking Thanks forward to me. TOC. And uh, are you fishing anymore the rest of the year? Or are you waiting until? November? I think TOC is probably going to be next up for me because, like I said, I'm trying to get the YouTube thing going, and I got a big old chunk of time with a little more chunk of change in the bank account that I can try to invest into my YouTube. So I'm going to be probably doing some cool fishing stuff. Really, really excited. Don't know what it's going to be yet, but should be some good stuff coming down the pipe. Hell yeah. And for folks, again, if you're listening or watching, uh, go to the show notes. Uh, It's got the video. I'll add the video to the show description after this live show here. Uh, But also uh, Nolan's Instagram and his YouTube channel are in the show notes as of right now. So get over there, subscribe, check out some of his videos, check out his new video that he just dropped literally 45 minutes ago. I'm going to watch uh, it tonight. Go check that out from the tournament video. I'm, yeah, I'm about to watch it after this after this episode. Mostly Joppa fish. Day two is going to be bug fish. There's a couple bug fish in day one, though. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. You got some, some bug inside. Bug bike is wild in day two, though. So, just so you know. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we're getting inside. Tease. Scoop the tease. Right That's right. Well, Nolan, dude, thank you so much for joining in. Obviously, it's not going to be the last time you're, you're on this show, but uh, appreciate you joining. And again, congrats, man. Thank you. Y'all have a good one. All right, boss. We'll talk to you. Dude, some damn juice. Yeah, that was, Some damn juice. (laughs) Like, holy crap. Oh, Unreal. Unreal. There's two ways. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say there's two ways to go about it. You either give up all the juice because you're building that following and then, you know, obviously – you got to do other stuff to make money as an angler. You can't just fish tournaments. So his right. his you got to make a decision early on, and he's made that decision. I'm giving it all up. I'm doing. I'm recording it. I'm you know filming it, doing the YouTube thing. I'm gonna a get paid more from sponsors because of the following. B get paid by YouTube because of the views. That's his uh, game plan, and he has made the right choice in my opinion because he has the time given his life circumstances right now and his age and everything, he's got the time. That's the right decision. Um, and don't worry about the fact that, yeah, somebody's going to see a spot, blow it up, whatever. If you're fishing at the highest level, I mean, look at the elite series, MLF, whatever, MPFL, you're, the camera's on you live anyway. You're going to have to learn to deal with that. And if you're, if your mindset is I'm good enough to be at that level, then, which I'm sure his mindset is. And I feel like he definitely, of course, is at that level good enough to, to be there you shouldn't worry about that and just go that route. So he's making the right decision. Uh, I couldn't, I'm on the other hand, I don't have time to do YouTube videos anymore and do all that stuff and getting paid by YouTube. So I'm kind of holding stuff a little closer oh, to the vest. Cause uh, you know, when I come, we go back to Champlain or ever next year, I just want to keep going back to the same spots and uh, <laughs> try to hoping they uh, produce again. So, <laughs> but yeah, you're going to go back in three good- years and those small mouth be like, damn, this guy again, he's back. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> No, he's made the right choice, but I, I do want to do lessons like, and that's a little something that, that doesn't take as much time. And, and we talked about this offline, but I do want to do some lessons over the winter, kind of like Frank Scalish does with the locker room. Um, Cause I've already a couple of years ago, I started that with, with Nick and a, and a couple other guys actually have, I've done uh, virtual lessons um, through like stream yard or something like this. And we right. go over map study. We go over all the prep work, everything I do, river gauges, 
everything and they get a chance to, but i want to do it where there, maybe there's like five people that get on at one time that way it's like a little class and so that's my you know i guess monetary version or stream and it doesn't take as much time or you know one of my streams obviously i work with crescent full-time but uh on the tournament side of things and just something i'm passionate about doing so hopefully i can get that up and going and uh i just enjoy it man having people that you can pull for in other tournaments like local local guys or regional guys that aren't at the this high highest level of kayak fishing getting getting them um kind of well versed understanding it and then following them in the tournament and cheering them on you know it'd be pretty cool so i'm gonna kind of do something like that and takes way less time than uh filming it and putting it all together but i still film it all and and i'll use that footage somewhere so we'll we'll see what happens with that but anyway what uh what were you saying no man i'm just uh i'm pumped to have had you both on this show uh i i'm pumped to have because like in talking to you guys i mean you know me i'm not a river guy Uh, it's just not where i mean i I was brought up fishing small creeks for smallmouth, but i was like wade fishing a quarter mile stretch and that's about it like uh i'm a lake guy that's how i am at heart like i don't like to see the bank i like to be you know in 40 foot of water i like to be using my electronics so this was an event that I was super out of my comfort zone, but I fell in love with pretty fast. And it was one where I was pretty, you know, I was pretty heartbroken with some of the th- events that happened, but I think that they were for the better because they're learning lessons now. Uh, but also at the same point in time, I'm pretty pumped to have somewhat kept up with the best in the business at yeah. this game uh, and walked away with a check and walked away you know, my biggest goal was to one, just learn, which I learned a lot, but two, like to get rid of my 48th from Toledo Bend this earlier mm-hmm. year and with the 17th. I mean, I'm sitting pretty good for AOI for my first year. And I, that's what, that was my goal was to qualify on angler of the year points. And while I won Lake Eufaula and that automatically qualified for uh, me to, mm-hmm. to fish the TOC, part of me felt like that that wasn't enough. Part of me felt like I need to qualify for AOI to be satisfied to be fishing this event, if that makes sense. Where it's like right. for an elite series event, unless you're fishing that last event, I don't think they have the rules still. But like, it, it felt like if you fish an elite series event, you know, we're going to talk theoretics here, okay? Sure. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a Lee Livesey on fork, and Lee Livesey can easily qualify for Angle of the Year. Doesn't matter if it's north, south, east, west, whatever. Okay. But I'm going to just use this as theoretics. Say you're Lee Livesey, you're on Lake Fork, not calling you follow my home lake, but right. wins. Wins an event that he's supposed to win or whichever. So I win an event that I'm not supposed to win, but I say I get lucky and I win it. I don't feel satisfied with that qualifying for a championship event. Right. It, to me, the point is much yeah. more meaningful to qualify versus winning or getting a top three, if that makes sense. Right. So that for me, being able to have a first, a 12th, a 17th automatically, automatically technically qualifies me through AOI to fish the TOC, double qualifying me, which for my first year, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to brag right now. That's not like me, but like it makes me feel damn good, dude. Like I'm pretty proud of it. I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it out loud. I'm pretty no, proud. It's, it's all, I mean, it's great, dude. I, I don't think you're, you know, bragging or whatnot. This is just a, this is your platform, man. It's just, for you to kind of, share how you feel because I'm sure other people feel the same way. You know what I mean? Like if they, if they win one and, 
and they get a you know, 48th or, and then a 67th, like, yeah, they're in the TOC, but did they really have the consistency, you know, to really feel like they belong there? And that's what you've right. accomplished. So uh, I get it, man. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be working on that too in the next two events. So uh, I can't wait to, to try to do the same, man, but hopefully I can win one and get it out of the way. But I mean, I'm proud of you, dude, because you went out there, like you said, it's, it's out of your comfort zone and it's not what you normally do. And you did hang, you, you know, you even, you know, lost fish that could have even had you even further up. So, I mean, it was a really great event uh, for you. Right. And, and now you're starting to get, you know, it, because you follow as a shallow fishery uh, where you won shallow, it's not your comfort zone. You're starting to get good experience in areas that are not your comfort zone, which is what I was saying about, you know, you guys, Nolan and Ewing and the younger, you know, you included and all the rest of the younger guys, you, the electronics and offshore stuff is becoming like just second nature to you guys. And it's not for people in my generation. It's not, um, yeah. not really at all. I mean, so, and now you're learning the other stuff too, and it's just making you guys super dangerous. Now, now it's again about now who can figure out when to, when to go where and Strategy why. And yeah. When to go shallow. So I, I'm, I'm proud of you, man. I appreciate it, buddy. And actually yeah. fun fact. Okay. The only tournament, this year that I had graphs on my boat, my kayak, was Toledo Bend, and that's my worst finish. Eufaula, Chickamauga, yeah. and Susquehanna, I had no graphs, no electronics on my boat. While I will say electronics did play a big factor in Eufaula with my auto chart in practice, being yeah, able to like practice. custom map that area. Chickamauga was a Lake Master deal, more of a fish smart on my phone and being able to establish similar areas. But like Susquehanna was a straight up just – Find oh, yeah. a stretch that had, I think, the most pools that were deepest and consistent and run them and just try them in practice and just kind of wing it. I think I, I'm, I was like, it's not exactly how I thought I'd qualify. Yeah. That makes any sense. No, like, it's it was, not. It's crazy. That's what, yeah. uh, that's what I love about the sport. You just don't ever know. Speaking of which, I'll, I forgot one little piece of juice about the, those areas, those pools. Okay. You want to know why another reason why they're there in the summer in those nondescript areas with the slow current? It's okay. it's because, okay, you guys saw how many crawfish were in there. When you're in those areas and the water's clear and low, you can see them all. I'm not saying there weren't just as many in those swift ripple in the more of the rapids and the riffles, but that is definitely more of their springtime haunts. Those big boulders create a solid current break where they can even be they could even be there in the winter because it's a solid current break. It's no matter how high the river gets and cold, it's still a calm spot that can be. But guess what? Those little, these little places we're catching them now, those calmer bubble trails, these slick gravelly kind of sandy and gravelly uh, with the shells kind of bottoms. Guess what that looks like in the, in the winter, the fall on the, or basically when the winter, when it gets cold and the water gets high, there is no current break. There is nowhere for them to, to – they cannot be there because there is no current break there. The water is just – the volume of water is just rushing through there. So guess what those – the prey in the area get? A reprieve. That's my theory on river fishing. The, the fish continue to move during the seasons, but those fish, those bait in that area, the helgamites, the crawfish, and everything, major reprieve from any fish eating hmm. it because they're – the way their, their bodies work, they don't want to be over there in that current. There's no current breaks to because their metabolisms aren't at the ability to do it and sustain it, you know, cold blooded or whatever. So 
that's that's why they they there's more forge there as well. Plus now there's no current this time of the year, so it's the best of both worlds. So anyway, and then of Very course they're gonna chow down on that, and they're gonna eat all those. Not all of them. There's so many crawfish in Susquehanna, but they're gonna eat all eat a ton of that up where there's not as many as you know there were when we were looking at them. And then guess what? The bait in those other areas haven't been pressured as much in the time of year when they get back over there. It's kind of like they keep just because nature needs a chance to build back up and reproduce. Same with all your bait fish and lakes and everything else. They need, they need a chance to reproduce anyway that I I forgot to kind of mention that other theory I had on that and we're going long now. So I'll shut up, but no, no, you're (laughs) good, dude. That was super interesting. That's actually a really good point. I didn't even think about that. That's pretty, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, they can't live there in the winter or right. spring when it's raging and their temperatures aren't up yet. But right. yeah, man, pumped to uh, to have, have a chance to talk about this with you guys. And I'm excited yeah. about Wolf and Fox. I can't wait. That's the next one. It's not very far down the road. So a couple weeks away. So heck yeah. I'm well, pumped. really fast before we sign off here, uh, another quick thank you to Nolan for joining us tonight. Again, guys, if you're not following him on Instagram or Follow or subscribe to his YouTube channel. All of that is in the show notes. You guys can go check that out and watch his new video. Uh, also, really quick, if you are into custom bait making and you or you want to get into custom bait making, you know we're talking earlier the show about tinkering, doing things that people aren't doing. Uh, you have to check out Do It Molds, especially with their new Katana Craw and the new Beetle. It is freaking sick. I just got the molds in. Andy and I are going to be pouring them up making some of our own custom jig trailers and, and Texas rigs and all that jazz and make it some video content around it. Uh, and then last but not least in stride with Nolan's new video, I will have two new episodes Chasing of Chasing hardware. hardware coming out for you guys. Uh, I'm finally home. Computer issues have been fixed. We got a whole new MacBook and everything. And uh, while I'm learning new editing software, I will get these videos out. We have, a tournament video to get out for you guys. And then, then we'll get the chasing hardware videos out. But I have finally some time off here. I am going to Wisconsin next week, but I will have time to edit while I'm in Wisconsin. So I'm going to start trying to pump. Try, I'm going to try. The goal is to try to get at least one video a week, the next coming weeks out for you guys, if not two, uh, if possible. But as always, I appreciate you all every week. You guys join in, whether it's Andy holding down the fort, me here or Andy and I both hopefully now we're going to have Andy and I both here for a couple months until we get to the TOC and then it's going to be a little haywire for a couple weeks but uh Drew man I appreciate you joining in anything uh the folks should know before we sign off that's it man you guys go watch that chasing hardware it's awesome uh you're doing a great job so I enjoy enjoy watching it so keep it up man I'm excited to see how it all turns out the rest of the year so yeah. It's going to be a fun one, man. We're all in the hunt for a lot of stuff, dude. You know, right. I'm on the Bassmaster side a little bit more than the Hobie at the moment, but following you guys and the AOI hunt and the TOC, it's it's all going to come down to, like, you know, the KBFNC still in play here later this year. So it's going to be a great, great finish this season. And I just want to thank everyone for watching. If you guys want to follow along with me, I'm just, you know, Drew Gregory fishing everywhere. But, um, yeah, enjoyed yeah. it, man. Let's do it again soon. Heck, yeah. Like, yeah, well, y'all see uh, Drew on the next Chasing Hardware's, me talking mad crap to Drew. Uh, yeah, yeah, That was for a fun sure. time at the house last week, buddy. But shout I'm out to all the guys can... at the Airbnb. Shout out. Good, yeah. good the times boys. there. But uh, all right, folks. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see you guys on Friday. <laughs>
Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.